Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, as always, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters, shalom, namaste, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Oh, no, 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 I didn't forget. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, as always, how are you doing, man? You're looking good. You're feeling good. You're sounding good. Everything good in your life. Everything fantastic in your life. What exactly are you doing to make things in your life better? What are you doing in your life right now to make things better? Not just for you, but also for your husband and your wife and your boyfriend and your girlfriend and your children and your best friend and your homeboy and your homegirl. Exactly what are you doing to make yourself a better person for you, for them, for everybody, for your children, for the next generation. Listening, learning, learning, listening, educating, listening, educating, listening, all those type of things. Respect one another. Love one another. Unify with one another. Understand one another. That's what we need to do. Not for this generation. We're too far gone but for the younger generation so we can erase what this country really is about right now. Divided, racist, ignorant, selfish for the younger generation. Let's see what we can do to make it closer to being the United States than what it is right now. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Today is all about football, man, and a little bit of wrestling. Should I say, today is all about football and wrestling. I just... I watched a little WWE, I saw the thing with CM Punk, and I wanted to talk about it. I got lost in the moment, both with the um, CM Punk emergence in AEW, and also with the wrestling SummerSlam pay-per-view for the WWE, so I'll be talking about that. Also, man, got into some college football. I'm I want to talk about the NFL. I really do. I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. I want to talk about Justin Fields. I want to talk about Zach Wilson. I want to talk about Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson coming back sooner than expected for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I want to talk about the uh, performance in week two by Trey Lance for the San Francisco 49ers. I want to do all those things. I want to talk about what's going to be happening in the NFC East. I want to be interested. I want to go ahead and talk about those things, but not just yet. Not quite just yet. I'm saving the material, man, because right now, what is there really to talk about? Right now, what are we going to be getting down on the NFL right now? There's plenty of time to talk about who's going to be winning the NFC South. There's plenty of time of talking about what are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to do to repeat. There's plenty of time to talk about Aaron Rodgers and his relationship with the Green Bay Packers. There's plenty of time to figure out what the Houston uh, Houston Texans are going to do with Deshaun Watson. There's plenty of time to talk about what's happening in the 
NFC West with the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals. There's plenty of time to talk about that, man. But the season hasn't even begun just yet. And right around the corner, less than one week away, we've got the start of college football. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, and I'm going to tell you in the next segment, and I'm going to keep telling you, I'm going to keep harping on it, I'm going to keep pounding on it. This is for all my homeboys and my homegirls who are diehard college and pro football fans. I'm going to be talking to my homeboys and my homegirls for those who have Saturday and Sunday roped off in terms of their entertainment deal because they're going to be watching college football on Saturday. They're going to be watching the NFL on Sunday. I'm telling you this right now from a guy who's never been married, from a guy who's never had any children. I'm telling you this right now, what you need to do, get everything out of the way because once August 28th starts till probably somewhere around February, you're done. You're done. You're done. When it comes to uh, anything as far as not watching football on Saturdays and Sundays. So if your husband's feeling a little bit neglected, if your girlfriend's feeling a little bit neglected, hey man, we're talking about this next weekend. Take her out. Do everything that you can, man. Earn those brownie points. Get on their good side. You can go ahead and do those things because college football is going to be starting. It's going to be starting soon. That's what I'm focusing on. That's what I'm going to be talking about mainly in this podcast. Then I'm going to go ahead and talk about a little AEW. I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about SummerSlam. I'm going to talk about the return of CM Punk. I'm going to talk about some of the matches in SummerSlam this past weekend. It's been a chaotic. It's been an interesting 48 hours for both AEW and the WWE. And I'm going to uh, talk about what it means. I'm going to talk about exactly where both companies are going. I'm going to be talking about the matches itself on SummerSlam. I'm going to be breaking it down. I'm going to be giving you my thoughts and opinions. So that's my deal for this uh, podcast. Not, Not too much in the NFL. Now, after this next podcast, again, I'll be moving closer and closer to getting down on the NFL, which, you know, because of the less one less preseason game, the season's going to be here sooner than you know it. So, um, yeah, I'm not neglecting. I'm not ignoring. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not uh, Michelle Beadling the NFL in terms of the importance of it. I am going to uh, just go ahead, just do a little bit more studying, do a little bit more watching, do a little bit more, getting the attention on the NFL, learning a little bit more. So when I go ahead and I make my thoughts and when I go ahead and give my opinions on my podcast, then I'm going to be inundated with enough information, thoughts, feelings, putting it together where I can feel confident in saying what I need to say about the Washington football team, about the Las Vegas Raiders, so on and so forth. So that's going to be the deals. So today is going to be a lot of college football Today is going to be a lot of WWE and AEW. And then at the end, got to give a special dedication to my favorite channel. Used to be my favorite channel outside of the cooking channel. Got to give it up to A&E, who's going back to his roots. No more Pawn Stars, or that's on the History Channel. No more Parking Wars, and no more Dog the Bounty Hunter, and none of that bullshit. It's about time that A&E with my man Bill Curtis got back to his roots, got back to what made them great, got back to what made me fall in love with wanting to be a Roy Hazelwood, wanting me to be a John Douglas, wanting me to be a criminal profiler. They've got American Justice back, and they got Cold Case Files back. No more having to watch it on Pluto. 
I am rip roaring, ready to go, not just for sports, but also for what's happening with uh, A&E. Uh, have to uh, go ahead and uh, rewatch the Invisible Monsters talking about John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and uh, who else? And BTK and Gary Ridgway. So many other serial killers. They were talking about the boom of serial killers back in the 70s. You guys did realize that Dean Coral down in Houston like tortured and killed like 33 young boys, right? I mean, he was Gacy before Gacy in a lot worse way, right? Him, Wayne Henley and Scott Brooks, what they were doing. The Samuel Little, um, the Grim Sleeper. There were a lot of serial killers out there, but they decided to focus on those five during this wave, this pandemic. Wayne Williams killing all them kids in Atlanta, you know, but they decided to focus on those five guys. So very riveted on that program. And I was going back and I'm going to watch just a little bit more. So, uh, but yeah, today it's going to be what, you know, this podcast is going to be about, you know, Watching, uh, talking about um, some college football and some wrestling. So um, I think, yeah, I think I do. I think I hear a symphony. I think I hear a symphony each time you speak to me. Oh, oh, I got a theme going on, y'all. I got a theme going on. Let's go ahead and let's get this party started. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Singer Stevie, that's what I'm talking about. Whenever you are near, I hear a symphony. Each time you speak to me, I hear a tenderness so deep with love, y'all. Leslie Ogums is going to be the outro music of that version. Also have the Supremes version. I also have the Isley Brothers version. This is just a way of me. I just got I Hear a Symphony on the Brain. Two of my favorite people on earth. One, I'm no longer speaking to because it's the love that I lost, Felicia Ham. But also the other one who influenced me a lot to be a better human being, Shawnee Buchanan. Great singer, wonderful singer, awesome person. And I keep telling her, the day that I get married, if I had enough money and enough influence and enough power and enough and enough everything, if I could get myself a great band, I would hire her to sing at my wedding and I would have a list of songs, which I think that she would knock out the box and put it in that Shanisa Buchanan type groove, that feeling. And I don't know how much she would charge me, but I would go ahead, pay her, get the best band available. And for me and my wife, I would have Shanisa Buchanan sing the songs that I wanted her to sing, that I would want her to sing. And one of them would be this one, my favorite one. Whenever you are near, I hear a symphony. 
Lay sweet and tenderly every time your lips meet mine now, baby. So that's what I'm talking about. So I'm in a, I hear a symphony type of groove and type of mood. Tonight, today, as I'm recording this, whenever you're hearing this. So uh, yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about the NFL in the first segment. Now I'm going to transition and talk about a sport that I'm more enthused about college football as of right now. Why? Because their season starts on the 28th. Yes, I'm speaking about college football next Saturday. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, August 28th, that's when the season begins. That's when my Saturdays and my Sundays are officially over in terms of me doing anything else, especially during the day, except for watching college football on Saturday and then the NFL on Sunday. Of course, the NFL is going to start a couple of weeks later after college Football starts, but man, I'm I'm just rip-roaring, ready to go. These 110-degree days out here in Vegas are going to be ending, hopefully soon. The weather is going to start getting a little bit cooler, and uh, football's going to start, which is awesome. So we're speaking about, again, Saturday, August 28th, the games of interest that day. First game of the season is going to be Nebraska versus Illinois. That's going to be at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard time, Nebraska coming off a 5-3 and three season last year. Could be a make-or-break year for head coach Scott Frost coming back to his alma mater, beginning his fourth year at the coach of the Cornhuskers. First three years, his record was 12-20 and 20 overall, 9-17 and 17 in conference play. Scott Frost, who had a great, who did a great job down there in Florida when he was the head coach. I don't know if it's Central Florida or Northeast Florida or one of those schools not named Florida or Florida State in football finished Central Florida, I think it was, finished the season undefeated. And um, he was supposed to come in and, uh, you know, he had an innovative offense and he was supposed to be coming in and resurrecting the uh, program at Nebraska to where it was as far as success is concerned, kind of close to what Tom Osborne had the the, uh, squad and had that program back in the 80s and the 90s rolling. And Scott Frost was a big part of that when he was the quarterback for Nebraska. So, you know, the good son comes home, makes well. But so far, it's been a struggle. So far, they've proven in terms of the Big Ten is concerned, they're nowhere near the level of competition that um, to compete with the Ohio States and the Wisconsin's and the Michigan's and, and those upper echelon type of teams in the Big Ten. So, this is a season where, you know, he can't afford to go another three or seven or four and eight or something like that. If he doesn't do something, and I mean something in terms of a little bit more than a minor bowl game, even though he's an alum, even though he's homegrown, this might be the last year for Scott Frost, even if his record does for this season hover around 500 as far as the one season is concerned. So Nebraska versus Illinois, Illinois, Brett Bielema takes over as the head coach for Lovey Smith who finished last season 2-6, and six, speaking about the Illini. So, good game, good Big Ten game to start the season. Going to be interested in that, especially after all the rigmarole and all of the uh, bending and twisting and will they play and will they not play and no stands, uh, no fans in the stands and all those type of things. It's nice to see college football starting the 28th of August get back to somewhat normality. And yeah, we're not going to have Clemson versus Alabama. We're not going to have Ohio State versus uh, Oklahoma to start the season. But shoot, I'll take Nebraska over Illinois on a lazy Saturday afternoon near the end of August, any day of the week, especially when we're speaking about the amount of time between the end of the football season, which was in February, to now starting college football again in just, as I'm recording this, less than a week. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The other game of interest 
On the 28th, Hawaii versus UCLA. That game starts at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. Speaking about Scott Frost, his job was on the line, him needing to do some things to keep his job. Well, the same thing could be said for the head coach of UNLV, uh, UNLV geez, of UCLA, Chip Kelly. Last chance for him to possibly turn this UCLA football program around, entering his fourth season as head coach. Overall record being 10 and 21. Yikes. 10 and 15 in conference play. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Chip Kelly is 10 and 21 overall. 10 and 15 in conference play. So you're going to try to tell me three years into his tenure as coach of UCLA that Chip Kelly has not won a non-conference game? He couldn't schedule someone easy. He couldn't schedule a Montana. He couldn't schedule uh, someone from the Mountain West. He couldn't schedule a doormat. He couldn't schedule UNLV. He couldn't schedule anybody, at least in the second and third year. Yes, I know that these non-conference games, they get scheduled and they, uh, you know, you, you put them into the rotation sometimes five, six, seven years before you actually go ahead and play the game. But damn, man, you're going to try to tell me that UCLA hasn't won a a non-conference game in that many years, three years last year, finished three and four overall and played only conference game. So you can maybe say, well, you know, for the 2020 season, they didn't play any non-conference uh, games. So that's fine. But still, man, you're Chip Kelly, you're UCLA schedule somebody schedule somebody would you can beat up on now Hawaii, possibly Hawaii could be that team, especially with the UCLA playing at home. But, to keep his job this year, I'm sorry, the Chipster has to go at least, has to win at least seven or nine games. This season, they play Hawaii, LSU, Fresno State, non-conference schedule, all at home. So we're looking at possibly two and one, should be two and one. If we go ahead, I, I, I hate doing predictions. I hate doing, you know, the broadcast, you know, to trying to figure out who's going to be doing what and how many games they're going to win. Who knows? But if you take a look at Hawaii, LSU, Fresno State, all at home. Two and one should be acceptable. Anything else, unacceptable and excusable. Then you have the conference games. They play Stanford, Arizona, Washington, Utah, USC, all on the road, but they play Oregon, Arizona State, Colorado, and California at home. So, again, I don't know what this thing is going to look like. I don't want to prognosticate, especially with COVID still running around, especially with me not having a in-depth knowledge of some of the teams in the uh, Pacific uh, Coast Conference. So, you know, I'm just going to hold off on predictions, but I am going to say, I am going to predict this. If Chip doesn't win seven or nine games, I don't see how he still, he still keeps his job. So those are some of the games as far as when the season starts the 28th of August, when we're speaking about, Nebraska, Illinois, Big Ten game, and then Hawaii at UCLA. Nice little appetizer as we get rocking and rolling for college football till we lead to um, the first week of September when the big boys, the NFL, starts. So you're speaking about for September 2nd after the game's on the 28th. You wait a little bit till September 2nd. That's a Thursday. You have four ranked teams playing that day. The Citadel at number 22, Coastal Carolina at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's see if Coastal Carolina can continue the success that they had. The Cinderella's, as we say, maybe the Gonzaga of college football. Gonzaga back when Dan Munson was coaching the team, not the juggernaut that 
Mark Few has right now, but the little engines that could. We're looking for the uh, David versus Goliath in terms of who's going to be that football team, who's going to be that squad that's going to uh, break into the top 10, the top 8, the top 6, along with Cincinnati this season. Let's see if Coastal Carolina can continue the momentum that they had from last season's success. So they start their season September 2nd against the Citadel. Again, that game is at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Number 24, Utah, on the 2nd of September. That Thursday, they play Weber State. That game is 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, Southern Utah. At number 25, Arizona State, that's at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. And the game that's going to be on Fox at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you have already playing Number four, Ohio State. They're going to be on the road to start the season against Minnesota. Again, that's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That game is going to be on Fox. So you have that game for Thursday and then Friday, September the 3rd. The game of the day is going to be on ESPN, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the number 10 ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. What in the world is Roy Williams and Dean Smith going on right now where North Carolina all of a sudden is a top 10 ranked school in football? They're going to be on the road to play a team that used to be top 10 when Frank Beamer was coaching at Virginia Tech. Interesting game for the Tar Heels. Interesting game for those who are watching this. Interesting game for those who might not know too much about ACC football outside of Clemson. Interesting game for those who might think of North Carolina as a basketball-only school Ranked number 10 in the uh, country in the preseason for their football squad. Mac Brown has done a fabulous job in resurrecting that program that he once uh, put to uh, some, some success when he had Oscar Davenport back in the day running the uh, show at the quarterback position before Mac Brown went over to coach at Texas for a little bit. But uh, he's turned that program around with some really good recruiting. And uh, at quarterback, he has a Heisman Trophy candidate and a possible top five NFL prospect and quarterback Sam Howell. So for those who might not know too much about North Carolina, hey, man, you know, go ahead and take a look at the squad. Number one, they're ranked number 10. Anytime that uh, you can give Clemson a little bit of competition, even though Clemson is head and shoulders above everybody else in the ACC conference, anytime that you might even have a mulchrum of possibility that North Carolina or anybody could uh, give Clemson a game and end some of this absolute domination that Clemson's been having over the ACC, sort of like what Florida State or Miami did when they joined the ACC conference back in the Bobby Bowden days at Florida State and such. God rest his soul, Bobby Bowden dang a little while ago at the age of 91. But, uh, you know, right now, Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, their dominance in the ACC, reminiscent of Bobby Bowden and Florida State, what they were doing, back in the 80s and the mid-90s. So if North Carolina, let's see what they're all about. It's going to be an important year for them. It's going to be a big year for them. And as I mentioned before, anytime you have a top 10 team and anytime you have a situation where you have a quarterback like Sam Howell who was projected to do some things and have the talent to be projected as a top 10, top 15 draft choice, well, then on any given Saturday, you never know. And the possibility of North Carolina playing Clemson in the ACC championship for the first time this season because North Carolina and Clemson, they don't play in the regular season. So this could be a situation where everything falls right for North Carolina. This number 10 ranking that they have right now can only shoot up to fourth, 
fifth, somewhere around there. By the time, if they take care of their business, by the time they get to that ACC championship game, we could be looking at a possibility where for the semifinals for the playoffs, it could be North Carolina if they do what they need to do and then pull the upset of upsets by beating Clemson, who's breaking in a new quarterback, who's breaking in a new running back and such. So I know I'm projecting far, 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 far down the road, but I'm speaking about college football playoffs and conference championship games. But, you know, if you want to uh, go ahead and uh, start that start that uh, book that possibly could be read North Carolina's best football season ever, then, you know, you start reading it on Friday, September 3rd when they go down to Blacksburg and play Virginia Tech. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So speaking about what's happening with college football starting the 28th, talked about Illinois and Nebraska, talked about Hawaii at um, UCLA, went ahead then, talked about some situations as far as four teams playing on September the 2nd, which is a Thursday, Ohio State. Interesting to see what their quarterback situation is going to be. I know they got this kid from um, Texas, Quinn Ewers, who reclassified from the t- class of 2022 in high school. And I guess he did what he needed to do. Now he's up in Columbus trying to get that starting position job. And this guy is supposed to be the second coming. This guy's supposed to be the best quarterback prospect in a while and all these type of things. So with Justin Fields now playing football for the Chicago Bears, let's see what happens with Mr. Ewers. And let's see what happens at the quarterback position for Ohio State. They also lost Trey, Trey Sermon. So um, there's some holes to be filled at the skill position, at least at the quarterback position and the running back position for Ohio State. But they'll be starting their season September 2nd, that Thursday, against Minnesota, a game that you can see on Fox, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then once again, down to Friday, September 3rd, Virginia Tech hosting North Carolina ranked number 10 again. What are the chances? What can be happening for UNC to be a legit concern? Not rival or anything like that, but just a legit concern for Clemson this season as somebody, somebody in that conference sooner or later is going to have to usurp Clemson as the dominant force in that conference for football. Last season, North Carolina had the most efficient passing attack in the ACC. They were fifth in the nation in total offense, ninth in scoring, averaging 537 yards per game, 42 points per game. Now, they lost a potent running back. They lost a lot of skilled players at the wide receiver and running back position, as I mentioned before. But they've got five starters returning from the offensive line, which bodes well for... Sam Howell, if you're going to be able to uh, put some numbers up and be able to uh, execute and be able to put some uh, points on the board. So they might lose their uh, skilled players at the wide receiver and the running back position, but you got something starting with the strong foundation of an offensive line to come back and improve on what they did as far as protecting the quarterback for this season. And you're also speaking about, I don't think that even though they're ranked number 10, I, I, I don't think that you could say, that North Carolina is quote, 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 unquote, reloading. I still think that they're a rebuilding type of program, but the, the, the rebuilding is not going to be, or shall we say, catastrophic for their chances of being a consistent top 15, top 20 team as long as Mac Brown is still there and um, still, con- still continues to uh, do well in the recruiting process. Not only did 
North Carolina just get, I think, what, a five-star recruit? I think a five-star recruit decommitted from one of the power elite conference football uh, football schools, and now he's with UNC. So, you know, UNC has brought in top 15 classes for 2020 and 2021, a.k.a. when Mac Brown got there. So if they can continue this momentum, then, you know, hey, we could be taking a look at once again, UNC Clemson football. Why not? Uh, why not put a stake? Why not uh, put a marker? Why not set your mind to where this possibility began? So for maybe the 2022-23 UNC team that's on the same level, near the same level, can't beat the uh, Clemson Tigers. Every blue moon can be a true rival. Maybe we start thinking about when did this start taking place? It started with the arrival of Mac Brown as the coach, and then the year of 2021, that football season where they were ranked. Number 10 in the preseason, started moving, started grooving, started doing some things. And now for the 2023 season, this momentum, this building process that has been the football program at the University of North Carolina is where it is right now amongst the elite in college football. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. That's me. So glad that you could be with us. So talked about what's happening on the uh, 2nd, that Thursday of September. Talked about what's happening to begin the season, August 28th, Illinois, Nebraska, Illinois, Nebraska, Hawaii, UCLA, Hawaii, UCLA to start the season. It's like I'm back in the classroom now teaching the kids, making sure that they remember. But also spoke about about what's happening on the 28th, then went ahead and talked about what was happening as far as the four ranked teams were concerned playing on that Thursday, September 2nd. Take notes because there's going to be a quiz later on, I'm telling you. And then, um, as I mentioned before, the game between North Carolina and Virginia Tech, that Thursday, September 3rd, but on the 4th, Saturday, Saturday, let Thursday, what was it? Thursday is going to be Friday, the September 3rd, I'm sorry, and of course the 2nd, that Thursday. So yes, Friday, September 4th, that's going to be when the season really starts. That's when you start saying to yourself, all right, this is when this is when we start moving and grooving. This is when we start getting funky with it. This is when you start doing the super chicken, the funky chicken, and any other chicken as far as eating chickens is concerned. Saturday, September 4th. Games of interest on those days. I'm telling you right now, this weekend or this week, Get everything out of the way. This upcoming weekend, get everything out of the way. If you're going to go on vacation with your husband, go on it this weekend. If you're going to be doing some things with your kids, do it this weekend. If you're going to be doing your chores and you're going to be doing your honeydews for, um, do it, do it this upcoming weekend because that, uh, Saturday, September 4th, that's when the season gets started. And I'm telling you, man, like if you're like me, that's going to be on the West Coast. From 9 a.m. to about 4 or 5 o'clock in the uh, afternoon. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk about it. Well, if you're good looking enough, maybe we can have some, maybe we can talk about having some sex. I mean, for me right now, I guess I could go ahead and try to do some things in between quarters. What? But I'm talking about right now, man. It's going to be a hell of a Saturday. That's September 4th. Noon Eastern Standard Time. We've got number two ranked Oklahoma at Tulane. If you want to see that game, that's on ABC. Noon Eastern Standard Time on Fox. Big Ten putting it down for us early. The number 19th ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. James Franklin at the um, number 12 ranked Wisconsin Badgers. Noon on ESPN. For those in the Midwest, you've got Western Michigan at Michigan. For those who are big Jim Harbaugh fans. Then 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. We got ourselves a game on ES on uh, ABC. 
I know them folks down in Alabama. Let me go ahead and talk about them folks down there in Alabama. Now, I know you folks in Alabama. I know what we're talking about right now. I know what's going to be happening on 3.30 Eastern Standard Time, September 4th, down there in Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Even though they ain't going to be playing in Tuscaloosa, I know what's going to be happening. I used to have a telemarketing job where I would have to come in and call folks on a Saturday afternoon during the college football season down there in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, Arkansas. I know SEC country. I know no one was picking up the phone when I was calling, when I was doing my telemarketing back in the day and when I did. And when they did pick up the phone, I got cursed out something good because I was watching. I was calling them when Bama was on, when LSU was on. I understand what I'm talking about. So 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on ABC the number one ranked team in the country, Alabama Crimson Tide at Miami. Number 14th ranked Miami Hurricanes. That's going to be a ball game. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'll, I'm going to get into this a little bit later. But I know Alabama's number one, but how much of that is just based on reputation? I mean, I, I know folks in Alabama, I know those who are roll tide type of folks feel that, you know, I mean, we got, we, we, we don't rebuild down here in Arizona, down here in Alabama, son, we reload. So we've got nothing but five-star recruits coming in to replace NFL type of prospect and those NFL prospects go on and those five-star recruits become NFL prospects and then we go ahead and we get ourselves a number one ranked recruiting class and then that number one ranked recruiting class comes in and replaces those future five-star uh, those NFL draft picks and then they become NFL draft picks and as far as Nick Saban and as long as Nick Saban is still in the fold this thing happens over and over and over and over and over again. I get that. I understand that you guys bring in, his, especially this upcoming recruiting class, historically great, get all those things. But man, I, I mean, you're replacing a quarterback. You're replacing two great wide receivers. You're replacing three offensive linemen. You're replacing a running back. I mean, are you sure that you're just going to rip roar and rumble through the regular season similar or close to what you did Last season, and I understand you don't have to be as dominant as you were last season to win a championship, especially when there's so much influx going on with some of the top-tier teams in college football. But I'm going to be interested to see what's happening with Bryce Young. I am very, very interested to see what's going on with Bryce Young. I know that you can't deduce and really, you know, give a good opinion about how he is as a football player based on 22 passes that he threw last season. But it's like, you know, you, you take a look for that quarterback at Clemson and how, and what he did in the two games that uh, Trevor Lawrence was out because of COVID-related issues. And you see how well he played against Notre Dame for being a true freshman. Do you think Bryce Young could have put on that type of performance last season? How much has he improved to the fact where you say what Mac Jones did last season being one of the best quarterbacks in college football, completing damn near 200% of his passes for 800 yards and 900 touchdowns. I mean, we're not asking Bryce Young to do that, but how much of a drop-off is there going to be? And he's not going to have the security blanket of a Jaden Waddle, Najee Harris, or a Devonta Smith. Are we sure about this? Defense is going to be pretty good, but, you know, you guys lost, lost Dylan Moses. Are y'all sure you're going to be like, no big deal, no problem, because we're Alabama and we get great recruiting classes and we just reload? Okay. 
All right, we'll see how good you guys are. Maybe you guys will come out and just blow Miami out the water. We'll see. But that's going to be a hell of a game, and that's going to be a game that I'm going to be watching with great interest. The Alabama Crimson Tide and see how they do. Again, that game Saturday, September 4th, 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on ABC. But if you don't want to do that, you want to have the situation to watch two ranked teams play other than Alabama and Miami at that time, you can turn over to the Big Ten Network at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time, number 17, Indiana, and number 18, Iowa. Then an hour later, if you still don't want to do that, or if an hour later, Alabama's up 35-3 over Miami, and you're like, okay, ball game next. 4.30, you've got, um, on Fox, you've got number 23, Louisiana at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian, Texas. You know, you know, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I think about Texas, and I think about how much power they yield. And I think about the influence that they have. And when you're speaking about the elite football programs in this country, short list before you get to Texas and how powerful and how influential they are. But when was Texas, outside of Vince Young and the magic that he had during that year, and then um, the one more year where they lost to Alabama in the national championship game like 10, 11 years ago, when was the last time Texas did anything worth a damn or worth all of the consternation and all of the and, and, and all of the stuff that, that comes along with being Texas as far as the positive is concerned? For me, people want to sit there and talk about, well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is, you know, play. Notre Dame is, you know, we're speaking about this ain't Nuke Rockney. Nuke Rockney isn't walking through that door. Eric Parsegian isn't walking through that door. The Four Horsemen aren't walking through that door. Joe Thiesman isn't walking through that door. None of those guys. Paul Horning isn't walking through that door. You know, Notre Dame, that's your great-great-grandfather's college football team of praise and glory and you know bowing down and that type of thing no one gives a you know Notre Dame can no longer Alabama is the new Notre Dame in terms of dominance in terms of winning championships in terms of influence in terms of the power that they wield in college football for the year 2021 for the ever since Nick Saban came along and got that program running for this generation for a certain generation Alabama is your great, 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 great grandfather's grandmother's Notre Dame. You know, as of right now, Notre Dame can't compete with the elites of college football. They can't compete with the Alabamas or the Clemsons or the Oklahomas or the Ohio States on a consistent basis. They can't do that. The only reason why they get into the uh, playoffs is because that they uh, have an easy schedule. They don't play anybody or they might get lucky and get Clemson at home without Trevor Lawrence and we saw what happened when they get into the playoffs and they play the elite teams so why are we giving a damn about Notre Dame why do we care about Notre Dame why are so many conferences why are the ACC why would the ACC probably commit murder on their family members to get Notre Dame into their conference when as far as the football program is concerned Notre Dame ain't that conference couldn't you say the same thing about Texas like, oh man, Texas is going to the SEC. What does that mean? They're not even the most powerful as far as football success is concerned over the past five, ten years. They're not even the most they're not even the most successful football program in the state of Texas. Over the past five or six years, TCU has had more success winning football games and 
being close to playing in championships and being close to competing for uh, championships and number one rankings and bowl game victories at the highest level other than Texas. What are we talking about here? Look, I understand Texas. It's the big state. Look, I understand Texas. The University of Texas. It's in Austin. It's awesome. It has a boatload of money. The donors are unbelievable. The history is fantastic. But hey, man, Earl Campbell ain't walking through that door. Johnny Majors ain't, well, Johnny Majors was for Tennessee. Daryl Royal isn't walking through that door. You know, those th- those guys aren't walking through that door. What has Tex- What have you done for me lately, Texas? If you're going to sit there and you're going to badmouth and you're going to smash and you're going to clown and you're going to disparage Notre Dame because the amount of attention and angst and, 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 and the spotlight that they get, well, they're nowhere close to being the elite program that the uh, Alabama Crimson Tides and the uh, Clemson's Tigers are. Well, then couldn't you do the same thing? Couldn't you be... Couldn't you be doing the same thing for Texas? I would give more respect in terms of being a dominant program or being a program worth a damn. I would give more respect and attention and love and support and argument's sake for Notre Dame than I would for Texas. What has Texas done over the past five years? What, they beat a, they, they beat an unmotivated Georgia in the Sugar Bowl? And then Tom Herman talking about we're back. What you're back to being mediocre the next year? So Steve Sarkeesian comes in, gets a big contract, failed at Washington the first time he was a coach. Now you could talk about his youth. You can talk about what he learned. You could talk about him going back and get his, getting his master's degree in coaching from the University of Nick Saban. You could do all those things, and you could talk about the success that he has as an offensive coordinator um, with Alabama. But we'll see. We'll see. But again, Texas, Texas isn't even ranked. And again, you know, this stuff about the Big 12. Look, I I, I know, again, I understand. The, I understand. I'm just speaking from the impact they have as far as winning football games. I, I'm not naive. I'm not ignorant enough to know the power that Texas wields because of their university itself and everything that goes along with it. But it's just like, you know, you, you take that out. I mean... Who's who's had a more successful football program over the past five years? Texas or Kansas State? Over the past couple of years, who's had a more successful football program? Iowa State or Texas? Just saying, just saying. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The game of the day, that Saturday, September 4th, when we're speaking about you start the day off with Oklahoma at Tulane, Penn State at Wisconsin, Western Michigan at Michigan. Then you move on to Alabama at Miami. Then you move on, of course, if you don't want to see that game, to Indiana at Iowa. Then Louisiana at Texas. The game of the day, though, the Ali Frazier. Well, that's 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 hyperbole. Sorry. Bad me. Bad me. Stupid me on that one. But the game of the day in terms of Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua, I guess, maybe, is going to be a 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on ABC. How about this? To start the college football season, we've got the number five ranked Georgia Bulldogs at the number three ranked Clemson Tigers. Battle of the QBs, right? DJ Ulagalele, U-I-A-G-A-L-E-L-E-I. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that name before the season's over. Before this game starts, I am going to learn that name. Just like it took me a while to learn Adenakupo, I'm going to do my best 
to uh, learn this kid's last name. Put some respect on his last name, his ancestors and his mommy and his daddy and his grandparents and such. But DJ, the sophomore from uh, Clemson. Hey, man, as I mentioned before, everybody's talking about Bryce Young and he's going to be making a million dollars on name, image, and likeness and being the quarterback of Alabama. He's just going to take the baton of success from Mac Jones, the baton of success, but the, the baton of dominance from Mac Jones, and he's just going to keep that offense rolling. Well, again, based on what I saw last season, they've had an entire offseason. They've had spring practice, all of those things, so I get it. So I don't know how great, bad, indifferent, negative, positive, average Bryce Young is going to be in his first game against Miami for Alabama. But based on last season, DJ was a better quarterback. Stepped in for Lawrence, again, as I mentioned before, when he was out with COVID. Threw for 429 yards, two scores against Notre Dame. Mounted to come back to get by Boston College. I remember, what were they down, like 21-3 or something ridiculous. And uh, DJ came in and uh, did some things right up. Right out the gate, man. It wasn't some type of uh, when uh, DJ came in that first game against Boston College on that first series. It wasn't like, well, we'll just hand the ball off and you just throw a couple of screen passes just to get your feet wet. Nah, it was like, we're going to treat you like uh, you've been in this offense for a couple of years. And uh, he responded. He didn't, He wasn't the reason why Clemson lost that game to Notre Dame. He played well, as I mentioned before. So he's going to be a guy, people, if we're going to be looking at um, Heisman Trophy candidates, I already mentioned the quarterback, Sam Howell for North Carolina. Uh, Spencer Rattler is going to be a guy who's probably, as of right now, the favorite if we're speaking about the Heisman Trophy. Why not uh, this kid, DJ? If Clemson can go ahead, if he can have a strong game against Georgia, a strong Georgia defense, Kirby Smart being the defensive coordinator from Alabama, always going to have a strong defense, especially how well that Georgia recruits if he can go out here the first game and put up some numbers and put up a couple of wild factors a wild uh, highlight type of uh, of uh, plays why not have him vault to the top of the list in terms as September is young and the season is young so I'm going to be interested and in see how well DJ is gotten from the performances that he had in the small amount of sample size that he gave us to what he is now as far as being the man in terms of being the quarterback for Clemson, which is now, if you speak about Trevor Lawrence being one of the greatest college quarterbacks to come along in the last 10, 15 years, if you speak about, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, the success that he had leading Clemson to a championship and then going on and doing great things with the Houston Texans so when he's not uh, being creepy with uh, massage therapists, that uh, Clemson now has become really um, a quarterback factory. We used to, uh, you know, put that in the, we used to put that moniker in the Pac-12 conference. But no, after Clemson has become that school. So next in line after Deshaun Watson and Trevor Boyd and uh, Trevor Lawrence, Tyler Boyd, Trevor, whatever that quarterback was in between uh, Lawrence and um, Lawrence and Deshaun Watson is going to be DJ Ulagalele. You like it, you like it, whatever, uh, my man DJ. So let's see how he plays. Big game against Georgia. And for Georgia, they're going to be coming in with an actual real quarterback for the first time in the Kirby Smart era of coaching the Georgia Bulldogs. 
Georgia is actually he's actually going to have a quarterback worth a damn. Sorry, Stake from Jake from Stake from speaking about you, but uh, you know JT Daniels. Remember that guy, former USC recruit. He was uh, the well, he played for Matter Day High School down there in Southern California, over in uh, Anaheim, and um, you know that was the uh, school that uh, they they don't, they don't make too many NFL quarterbacks, but they damn sure can turn out some really good uh, high school quarterbacks who win all these acclaims and win all these awards. I remember Matt Barkley. Remember Matt Barkley who played for uh, USC for a little bit and I think last check that uh, a couple of years ago he was the third string quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, you know, Matt Barkley a few years, when the, f- the few years that he went, uh, that he was uh, a high school quarterback of name recognition and uh, what he was doing down there. I think he was the player of the year two times in a row like he was the player of the year in football when he was a uh, junior in high school he was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to you know rewrite the record books and he was supposed to be the next great thing and he was supposed to replace you know jelly with your peanut butter and you know and uh supposed to replace sausage with your eggs and your uh chocolate with your shake and he was supposed to be that type of guy and uh, he went to usc and you know he's all right but not great JT Daniels was that same guy. JT Daniels as a junior at Matter Day was, I believe, the uh, player of the year, Gatorade player of the year. And I think that he skipped his senior year, came right into uh, college and played for USC. Saw his first game when he was playing against Hawaii on the islands. And, you know, you, you saw the talent. You saw how impressive that he was. But um, he suffered an ACL injury, got beat out. Um, by Kevin Slovis, and he decided to go somewhere else. So he went over and he played, and he transferred over to Georgia. And as I mentioned before, the most talented and gifted quarterback Kirby Smart has had at Georgia. So now we can actually see Georgia ever since. It'll be interesting to see this game because again, it's one game, and we're not. I'm not going to sit here and say that you know the whole season is going to be based on one game, especially when you have the talent that Georgia has, especially when you're speaking about the conference that Georgia is in, not the SEC West, but the SEC East, where you have Vanderbilt and you have Tennessee and you have uh, those type of squads that um, Georgia can crush if they lose to Clemson. And losing at Clemson the first game of the season is definitely, without question, not a death nail. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious, interested and curious. I'm not only interested, I'm a curious, I'm curious. I'm an interested, curious guy about, um, Kirby smart. What's he going to do in the big game? Because I'm telling you, man, when was the last time Kirby smart won a big game? Or should I say, when was the last time Kirby smart won an important game? Or should I say, what has been the record? of Kirby Smart in these marquee big games. I know that he beat Notre Dame last last season, and, and that was a big deal at the time. It was No, not last season, a couple of seasons ago when Notre Dame traveled down to uh, Georgia and um, Georgia beat them. What was it last season? I don't know, man. I mean, you get these things mixed up. But basically what I'm trying to say is that Kirby hasn't been very successful in marquee big games. AKA Alabama, AKA Texas and the Sugar Bowl. When when they've needed to come up big in a big game, attention getting game, spotlights on them game, national attention is on them game, more often than not, they have failed to live up to big game expectations. 
So what are they going to do against Clemson? I'm not saying they have to go ahead and they have to go to Clemson and win, but I'm just interested to see now that Kirby has the quarterback that can actually, oh, I don't know, throw the ball down the field with some type of a plume. Then let's see what happens with Georgia. Let's see what happens with this team, which is top five. Both of these squads, Georgia and Clemson, this game, let's see how well it catapults them. The winner, it catapults them to a successful season, which means A, winning a championship, their conference championship, getting into the playoffs, winning the national semifinal game, and then winning that national championship. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Running down, speaking about, talking about, looking over, reviewing, giving my opinions, all of those things in a bag of chips about the uh, start of the college football season, August 28th. My goodness gracious, write it down. Put it in your planner. Nebraska, Illinois, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Scott Frost, the return of the Bielema. <laughs> Hawaii at UCLA, the the watch for Chip, Kip, Chip, 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 Chip Kelly's job is going to be starting then. Four ranked teams then Thursday, September 2nd. Coastal Carolina, can they continue their Cinderella run? Weber State, Utah, number 24, Utah, number 25, ASU, Southern Utah, and then Ohio State, the number four ranked Ohio State on the road at Row Your Boat, P.J. Fleck, Minnesota, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fox. Then Thursday, or excuse me, Friday, September 3rd, game of the day, of course, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Get your popcorn ready to see if Sam Howell is going to be the quarterback. If you're a fan of, say, the Detroit Lions, if you're a fan, say, of, oh, I don't know, someone who needs a quarterback and your team stinks in your NFL city, is Sam Howell going to be that guy that you're going to be interested in? Find out on six at 6 p.m. on Friday, September 3rd, to see if that's somebody that you can uh, root for. Can UNC, North Carolina, be a legit concern for Clemson? They are on the basketball floor. Can they be on the football field? We will see. We will see. Is this going to be the springboard season for North Carolina to possibly, maybe in a year, two or three, become that rival that is needed in the ACC as far as football is concerned for Clemson? We will see. We will see. Then September 4th, that's Saturday. Games of interest, man. That's when the season really starts. That's when you get your popcorn ready. That's when you uh, start dancing on the ceiling like Ronald Richie. That before the game start, you go out in the streets and start dancing around like Martha and the Vandellas because college football will be here and it and it uh, reaches its scenario. It reaches its uh, high point that day with Georgia, number five ranked Georgia at Clemson, seven thirty that evening on ABC, seven thirty Eastern standard time then sunday notre dame is going to be at florida state jack cone the senior wisconsin transfer going to be the uh probable starter at quarterback replacing ian book who seemed like he was playing quarterback for brian kelly and notre dame for about 15 years but uh i remember cone playing for wisconsin i remember he played when uh, wisconsin put a beat down of beat downs on michigan he's good he, he's good he's good he's solid you know, 2019, he completed close to 70% of his passes for over 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, just five interceptions. The thing is with Notre Dame, of course, it comes back to, okay, where are the explosive plays going to come from this season? 
The receiving core lost some uh, top wideouts. Their best receiver is a tight end, which is nice, but he's not going to be able to stretch the field. Do you have any game breakers as far as the running back is concerned? Now, Chris Tyree, the number two back for Notre Dame, he averaged close to seven yards per carry, but that was an, an limited, limited amount of carries. What's going to be happening? What's going to be happening with Notre Dame moving forward? So those are some things, man. And that starts off your week one of college football, the real week one, August 28th. It's just the, uh, you know, how you doing, appetizing type of thing. But uh, the week after that, that's when things get, you know, that's when things start to uh, rock and roll with with where there's so much soul and you can rock till you're 101 years old. So, um, yeah, man, I'm excited about, college football right around the corner and I, as I mentioned before in the first segment man I just really can't get too much into uh, the NFL preseason games I tried I really did try but if you're not going to be playing the starters then I I really don't give a damn let me know when this let me know when they start playing for real now of course as I mentioned before we're going to be going over storylines and doing those type of things but when you've got this lineup before the first game starts as far as the NFL is concerned which is what Tampa Bay and Dallas well then yeah I'm going to be more geeked uh, to talk about college football than I am the NFL as of this point, even though I know that the NFL is the one that um, pays the bills. I know that college, I know that college football is nice, but ES, but ESPN and college football, I know they have a great partnership going, but I know the NFL is the bee's knees. I know the NFL is the pimp, and I know that college football are the tricks, and I know that uh, the NFL plays the hits, and I know the importance of the NFL. So I'm going to be talking about the NFL. Understood, understood, but. Excuse me if I'm more excited about the start of college football. And then once college football starts and the NFL is right around the corner for its regular season, you'll see me start getting hyped. So there you go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Preseason rankings, top 10. Going to go off the AP here for college football. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Oklahoma. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Ohio State. Number five, Georgia. Number six, Texas A&M. Number seven, Iowa State. Number eight, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, all right. Number nine, Notre Dame. And number 10, North Carolina. Interesting storyline for me. As I mentioned before, I'm, I'm wanting to see how good Bryce Young is. Through 25 passes last year as a true freshman. I think you heard me say it. Well, damn it, I'm going to say it again. Scattering port. Let me see. He's small. He's quick. He's fast. Lightning, quick release, strong arm, and accurate arm. High school coach raved about his football IQ and his leadership. That's great. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I got to see it, though. I got to see it. And again, when you lose Devonta Smith, who was the most dominant player in college football last season, when you lose Jaden Waddle, arguably the most talented wide receiver and one of the most talented football players before he injured his ankle, broke his ankle against Tennessee. When you lose Najee Harris, who was the best running back in college football and a top five skill position player last season. When you lose Alex Leatherwood as a first round draft pick. When you lose Landon Dickinson as a second round draft pick. I've got to see it. I want to see it. When you lose your offensive coordinator to Texas, how quickly is Bryce Young going to be picking up Bill O'Brien's offense? I got to see it. I want to see it. I need to see it. How are the Crimson Tides, quote-unquote, reloaders? How ready are they to win another national championship? Okay, John Michi, the wide receiver, second on the team with 55 receptions, 916 yards, six touchdowns. Okay, that was cool. That was good. He showed a lot of talent. He flashed a lot of talent. How much, though, of a leap can he make? How much of his 
success was due to having Devonta Smith at the other wide receiver and having Mac Jones be your cornerback. They're talking about, well, you've got Slay Bolden, you've got sophomores Javon Baker and Trayshawn Holden. Okay, fine. You got, I, I got to see it though. I'm not going on the assumption that, you know, Slay Bolden and Javon Baker and Trayshawn Holden are going to be the next, you know, Henry Henry Ruggs and um, Devonta Smith and, and those type of guys. I'm not ready to place that moniker on them until I see that. I'm not ready to uh, bow down to their skills, to their expertise, to their, to your, to their brilliance until I see it. Brian Robinson flashes last year replacing Harris at the running back position, starting running back position. They had this guy, uh, Rodell Williams. He's supposed to be the next great quarter uh, running back for Alabama. He's supposed to have that type of talent. Okay, we'll see. But we're, we're just going on the assumption here that Slay Bolden, Javon Baker, and Trayshawn Holden are going to be impact players at the wide receiver position, and John Michi is going to be one of the best wide receivers in college football. We're just assuming that Bryce Young, because of what team he plays for and his pedigree and his accolades and his resume coming out of Matter Day, a football factory, a quarterback football factory down in Southern California, that all of a sudden now he's going to pick up somewhere close to where Mac Jones let, let off. I When I read the prognostications and when I read the reviews, Concerning Alabama, everything's like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, this guy hasn't done this. Yeah, this guy hasn't shown this. Yeah, this guy's inexperienced. Yeah, this guy hasn't gotten on the on the um, field a lot of a lot of times. But don't worry. But don't worry. But don't worry. But don't worry. We're going on the assumption. But don't worry. But don't worry. I'm not going to have to worry. I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm curious though. I'm curious to see if these guys can do this. Right from from Jump Getty, these guys are going to be that good. They're going to go zero to 60 that quickly? All right. We'll see. We'll see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you you could be with us. Oklahoma, ranked number two, finished last season, nine to two, six in the final rankings. Spencer Rattler was shaky, was very shaky. Texas game started turning it around, finished the season. One of the better quarterbacks, one of the better young quarterbacks in the uh, college football, 28 touchdowns. Seven interceptions, has one of the deepest wide receivers and running back groups in the country. My question, of course, with Oklahoma, I know Pat Jones and Eric G are going to be talking about this on their program down there in Tulsa, the sports animal from 11 to 2. I know they're going to be talking about this. They're going to be talking about Oklahoma. What about the defense? We we know that they are going to be golden. Lincoln Riley, what he did with, um, what he did with um, <clears throat> Baker Mayfield, what he did with Jalen Hurts, what he did with Kyle Murray. Okay, he's going to do the same with Spencer Rattler. He's only going to get better. We got that. I'm not worried too much about the offense because of who's the head coach and the talent and everything goes around it. Is the defense good enough to win a championship? Eric G, is the defense good enough to win a championship? Coach Jones, 11-2, sports animal. Is the defense good enough? Is Oklahoma's defense and Alex Gibbs as the defensive coordinator, are they good enough to win themselves a championship? They don't need to be dominant. Am I correct? G-Man, am I correct? They don't need to be dominant to win a championship. We're not asking them to shut anybody down. Especially when you're speaking about the Pac-12, excuse me, the uh, Big 12, where putting up, I guess you could say, if your defense can hold a squad under between 28 and 35 points a game, you're doing something. 
But with that offense that's going to put up points and points and points and points, Coach Jones and Eric G., is the defense strong enough, decent enough to be able to uh, win themselves a championship? Are they going to be the Brooklyn Nets of college bas- of college football, which means, look, we ain't going to be trying to shut nobody down, but we are going to outscore you. Because you damn trying there. All we need to do is stop you a couple of times. You ain't going to be able to stop us most of the time. So I know the front seven is deep and talented for the Sooners. Perion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas. No, not that Isaiah Thomas. No, not that other Isaiah Thomas. No, not the short Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, the <laughs> the defensive end or the, the the lineman for Oklahoma. They're the leaders of the front four. Thomas led the team with eight and a half sacks with 13 tackles for losses. Winfrey made all Big 12 anchor of the uh, defense on the, at the nose tackle position, even though he's somewhere around 290 pounds. Is that going to be enough? If that is that going to be enough? Are you comfortable, Oklahoma fans? Are you comfortable, those who listen to the sports animal? Are you comfortable with winning football games 54 or 56 to 42? And it's just say, we got the offense. We, we, we don't need to be shutting anybody down. Don't worry about it. Well, maybe you take a look at uh, you take a look at Ohio State. They don't have Justin Fields. You take a look at Clemson. They don't have Travis Etienne or Trevor Lawrence. As I mentioned before, no Justin Fields or Trey Sermon for Ohio State. Texas A and M. They're ranked number six. They're replacing Kellen Mond. Maybe this is the year that you don't have to be. Dominant, and in today's game of football, both at the pro and college position, at the um, pro and college level, you, you don't need to shut anybody down. The, the The rules are too too skewed one way for anybody to be a dominant defense anymore. So maybe Oklahoma has just enough defense to win. Maybe Oklahoma being somewhere average is good enough because of their offense we're going to see we will definitely see wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us let me end this segment with this because i'm reaching an hour on this segment and i'm having way too much fun um the acc the big 10 and the pac-12 have announced that they're going to join they're going to uh form an alliance between the league's the three leagues in the next seven to 10 days. Now, substance of that agreement remains in flux and the big 12 is not part of these discussions. And of course, this is just a reaction to Texas and Oklahoma leaving the big 12 for the sec in the near future. Football drives the bus in college athletics. We know that, but I, could someone please tell me what, what are we talking about here? What does that mean? An allegiance? What are we talking about? What does that mean? Does that mean that they're just going to, that the, that the big 12, I'm sorry, the, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12, are they just going to shun, ignore, disregard the SEC and just take their ball and play amongst themselves? You stay in that playpen, we'll stay in ours. You stay on that side of the street, we'll stay on ours. You stay across those sides of the tracks and we'll stay in ours. What does that mean exactly? What, what does that mean for the playoffs? Now, I know that ESPN... The SEC, they're in bed with each other. The SEC, uh, dominant, the dominant conference. I know that the uh, college football playoffs, 
They're on a contract with ESPN, which means that, you know, we're speaking about that contract runs until 2025. What, what does that mean for a 12-team playoff? What does that mean if the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 align with each other and, and shun the SEC? What, what does all that mean? What if there's no relationship between those five power conferences? What, what's going to be happening? What, what's going to be going down? What, what does it mean now for the Big 12? Are they going to disband? Is another conference, the AAC or somebody else, going to come in and, and swoop in and take up some of these other teams? What's, what's going to be happening? Are they going to be going to the, the Mountain West going to make a play for any of these squads? What's, what's going to be happening to Kansas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU? What does it mean? All of this stuff is just like, I, I, I don't know. It's like the coronavirus. I don't know exactly. I don't have any like real concrete answers or ideas or I, I'm just going on the advice of others. But what does it also mean? I, again, I understand that football drives the bus, but what are we going to do with Kansas here and Texas Tech, West Virginia and Baylor who are very strong basketball programs. Kansas is an elite, historical, great basketball program. Texas Tech, now I don't know what Chris Beard, without him now, I don't know, but Chris, um, Texas Tech has had success in basketball. Bob Huggins is a walking, uh, is, is a walking legend in Morgantown, West Virginia with that basketball team. What does it mean? The Baylor Bears just won themselves in basketball NCAA championship. And now they're poised to be one of the elite basketball teams. In, in college, what do we do with them? Iowa State with Matt Campbell, what, what do we do with them? They're uh, ranked in the top 10 this season. Kansas State is another pretty strong football, uh, uh, not power, but a football program. TCU with Gary Patterson, what do we do with these guys? What are you going to do with these guys? What does it mean for the Big 12? I know because of Oklahoma and Texas that financially it's, it's, it's not feasible to keep that conference afloat if... Well, not if, but when Texas and Oklahoma leaves. But what's going to be happening with Kansas and Texas Tech? Are the is the Big Ten, the ACC, Pac-12? Are they going to come in? I mean, can we see? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Could we see possibly Kansas and Baylor in the ACC, or could we see Kansas and Baylor in the in the Big Ten? Will they take them? I mean, hell, they took Maryland. They took Rutgers. If they're going to form an allegiance with each other and the Big 12 is going to go, bye-bye, what's going to be? I mean, okay, again, I understand that football drives the bus, but man, man, just think about how powerful the Big 10 would be in basketball if Kansas and West Virginia and Baylor joined that conference. And you take a look at those games. You take a look at those conference games. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, wow. But again, we have to keep focused on football because that's the thing that pays the bills. That's the one that put food on the table. That's the one that makes sure that uh, your clothes are clean and the house is, is running properly. So we'll we'll monitor that uh, situation as time goes by. But uh, college football, man, right around the corner, two weeks away before we really start rocking and rolling. Get your shit together get the chores out the way take the kids take the wife take your girlfriend take your side piece take whoever worth a damn to you who might bullshit you during the college football season placate them right now 
because man, woo, when Saturday starts, when we're speaking about Alabama and Miami, and we're speaking about you know Clemson and Georgia, are you gonna want your husband to come down and bother your ass, your big fat ass? No, of course not. You want to sit there and you want to enjoy these games. So, college football is right around the corner. Games that count. I can't wait. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's going down in the world of sports today while easing into the next segment after listening to Flo Ballard, Mary Wilson, the boss Diana Ross, one of my favorite songs of all time, as I mentioned before, each one of the musical breaks dedicated to my favorite song. The one I've been grooving to all weekend long. I hear a symphony. Feels good. Feels really good. Fellas. Ladies. Homeboys. Homegirls. Whenever you're near. Let them know. Let them know. Whenever you're near. I hear a symphony. A tender melody. Pulling me closer. Closer to your arms. Then suddenly. Your lips, they're touching mine. I'm feeling so divine until I leave the past behind. I'm lost in the world, Felisa. Made for you and me. Bridge, please. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So let me go ahead and put that aside. Let me go ahead and put those feelings aside. Let me go ahead, motivate myself, get myself back up. Let me get back to ripping, roaring, ready to go. Because in this segment, we're going to need a little bit of that. We're going to need a little bit of energy. We're going to need a little bit of what I'm talking about because, um, yeah, man, we got some wrestling news to talk about. It's been a really interesting 48 hours between Friday and Saturday night. AEW, WWE, putting it down. They've been putting it down. One trying to outwork the other, out trying to trying to outshine the other, out spotlight the other. Started with uh, Friday AEW Rampage in Chicago. We all knew it was coming. It was inevitable. We all knew it. Chicago knew it. The wrestling world knew it. After seven years, seven years, two tries at MMA, Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, finally made his return 
to the wrestling ring with WWE. No, 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 no. With AEW. And man, when he came out Friday night at Rampage in Chicago, the place went nuts. That's a very important distinction. We'll get back to it, but I didn't plan on what I was gonna say because I didn't know what to say. Because I didn't know how I was gonna feel, but I knew that I needed to feel it. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not gonna get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. Wednesday, Friday, four Sundays or Saturdays a year. I got the time and I ain't going anywhere. Possibly for me, the most important thing I'm gonna say right now, and this is for everybody at home, this is for everybody who bought a ticket, this is for everybody in the back, if at all through my journey, any of my personal choices or decisions related to my life made you feel disappointed or let down, let me just say, let me just say, I understand if you all try to understand that I was never going to get healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, staying in the same place that got me sick in the first place. August 13th, 2005 was my last match in Ring of Honor, and I famously came out with tears in my eyes. And walking out here today, I now know why I was crying. And it was a lot of reasons, but what it boiled down to was I had made a place 
where people could come work, get paid, learn their craft, and love professional wrestling. And I cried because I knew I was leaving a place that I love, and it was a home, and I knew where I was going. It wasn't going to be easy for a guy like me, because I'm one of you. So I look at it like this. August 13th, 2005, I left professional wrestling. August 20th, 2021. I'm back. And that's what it sounded like. The building might as well exploded with cheers and glee and happiness. A couple of memes, guys up there crying. And oh my God, I can't believe this. Calm down, chief. Calm down. Remember, you're an adult. Calm down. But uh, great moment. Great moment in wrestling. And I know that everything is supposed to be centered around WWE when things like this happen. But um, I think it was fantastic. The fact that, uh, you know, CM Punk is back. And he's back. I, I was never really a huge fan of CM Punk, but I know what he means to the business, and I know how popular he is, and uh, I think that is great. I think that is great for the wrestling business, and I think it's great for AEW, and I think it's great for WWE, because now WWE, as we saw on SummerSlam with a hit and a miss, that um, they tried to one-up, they tried to outshine, they tried to out-momentum AEW for what they did, which means that the V-man, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Vinnie Mac is paying attention to what AEW is doing. In fact, he's paying more attention to AEW than he is with NXT. So, um, I think it's great for, um, I think it's great for uh, wrestling. I think it's great for the business. The, the uh, wrestling industry was fantastic when you had the Monday Night Wars. And because of all the stars that AEW and WCW and Ted Turner were buying at the time, that uh, it forced Vince to uh, kind of do a paradigm shift in uh, what he was doing with the business. And that's when you saw guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's when you saw guys like Kurt Angle. That's when you saw guys... Like The Rock, that's when you saw guys like Triple H, better or for worse. When you saw those type of characters start to elevate. And then they were starting to, you know, get into the groove. And they were starting to uh, get young stars. And they were starting to uh, formulate new stars. And I remember an uh, interview that I saw when Ted Turner and WCW was whooping Vince's ass in the early portions of the Monday Night Wars. And someone asked Vince, man, aren't you a little bit worried? Because, you know, WCW right now, Nitro is, uh, you know, beating Raw and this, that, and the other. Aren't you concerned about that? And Vince shook his head and he was like, no. First of all, because Vince would never admit to being scarred or anything when it comes to Ted Turner because he just absolutely despises Ted Turner. But he was like, no, I... Uh, I'm not worried about it at all because they're in it for the short game. They're getting the Bret Hart's and they're getting the Hulk Hogan's and they're getting the Macho Man's and they're getting all these folks. And, you know, right now we might be down, but as of right now, we're developing some talent that's just going to be awesome. It's young, it's fresh, it's hungry. Um, and with 
WCW dropping the ball with guys like Lance Storm and Eddie Guerrero and Chris, um, well, Chris Benoit before he decided to murder two people and uh, Chris Jericho and those guys dropping the ball because, you know, you, they wanted to give Hulk Hogan and all those guys to shine. Those young cats, those hungry cats came over to uh, WWF back then, now WWE. And as WCW started hemorrhaging money and started making bad decisions and having Vince Russo, you know, become champion and and Marcus Bagwell's mom become champion and all this other bullshit and all this other nonsense. WWE was establishing their stars and because of the fact that Vince did not want to lose to Ted Turner, that's what happened. That is the result of some competition with the WCW and the WWE and such. So, you know, AEW making inroads, doing some things like that. Hey, hopefully, maybe. Now, Vince is a lot older it's a lot older. There are some rumors that, you know, ultimately he might be trying to sabotage his product because he's ultimately trying to sell. Don't believe that one. But, um, you know, being a little bit older and such, I don't know if he can rebound and bounce like he did as far as the comeback is concerned back in the uh, early portion of the 21st century. But, you know, competition is good. And, you know, the, the tight grip that, WWE has had for so long since the extinction of WCW and TNA for a little bit has, uh, I think, caused Vince to uh, lose a little bit on the fastball and uh, make some decisions where it was kind of like, eh, man, really? We're going through that again? So CM Punk back in the business is great. And uh, it elevates AEW, gave it a certain shine. Um, one thing about Phil Brooks, CM Punk, I know, I, I saw, I heard an interview that he did when he first left WWE. And he was really bad mouth in the company. And he was, you know, talking about, look, you know, at the time I was the top guy. Everybody was loving me. I was putting the company on my shoulders. The only reason why they were doing anything was because of me. The interview had a lot of me, I, me, me, I, I, me, my. When everything was, you know, great and awesome. I mean, you know, he painted the picture of I was great. I was awesome. I was the man. I was doing this and I was doing that. And everybody else sucked and everybody else didn't know what the hell they were doing and everybody else was trying to keep me down and everybody else was doing this, that, and the other. And it was like, all right, man. I mean, I get it. Look, I'm a petty guy and I hold grudges and, you know, anybody tries to do something wrong with me or tries to, you know, screw with me or with that and the other, I really don't give a damn if they get hit by a train with their entire family. I really don't give a fuck. If you try to fuck with me, I hopefully will try to do anything humanly possible I could to try to get get away with it, to try to uh, make your life as miserable as possible. I don't forgive and forget. I don't uh, extend the olive branch. I'm a very petty guy. So in some regards, I understand where CM Punk is coming from, where, look, you know, he blamed a lot of his, you know, burnout and a lot of his loss of love for the industry and the loss of love for wrestling and him wanting to do something else on Vince and Triple H and Chris Masters and all this, all, all these people. And in some regards, I get it. I don't, I don't doubt him. I'm quite sure those things, you know, I'm quite sure working for the WWE at that time and working while you were injured and wanting to take some time off to rehab from some injuries and Vince saying no, 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 and Triple H saying no, 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 and, you know, fighting through injuries and still performing when it was dangerous on your health. And I, 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 I get the reason why, hey, any shot that you can take on the WWE, you can. Okay, in that regard, I get it. But Phil, 
you also have to realize, man, that um, you're CM Punk and you got that reaction because of not just you, but also because of the WWE, because of Triple H, because of Stephanie McMahon, because of the McMahon shame and Shane and Vince, because of Chris Masters, because of John Cena, because of all them folks. CM Punk didn't make his name as far as being that huge in Ring of Honor. Diehard, hardcore wrestling fans knew who he was in Ring of Honor and knew how good he was in Ring of Honor. But all of these things that you're experiencing right now, the attention, the accolades, all these things that are happening right now in portion, in a decent part, is because of the WWE in Vince McMahon. So, look, you left Vince and you left the company and you badmouthed them and you said, you know, they're bullshit, they're assholes, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But the last time I checked, the first time you went to the UFC, uh, you were known more as being CM Punk than Phil Brooks. You were still being advertised, as far as your fights were concerned, with Mickey Gall and such, as CM Punk. It wasn't automatically, you know, no, no, uh, don't call me CM Punk anymore. That's behind me, not doing that together. My name is Phil Brooks. You address me by Mr. Brooks, by Phil, by Philip, by, you know, M MB, by Brooksmeister, whatever, but no longer call me CM Punk. So you were still using that name that you got from the WWE in terms of giving you that shine even when you left the company. So I understand your... You know, I understand that, hey, you know, no roses and flowers and no name of my first kid, Vince or Shane or Paul Levesque. And all. I, I get all that. Not going to be doing business with them anymore. Get all that, hot, you know, regard for them as a company not might be at the highest. Get all that. But, you know, sometimes with the bad mouth and everything, it's like, hey, look, man, I mean, for, for heaven's sakes alive, I mean, you fell in love at WWE with uh, AJ Lee. I mean, you get to you get to go to home to her every night. I mean, that in itself, I can't super hate you. I can't super hate the WWE for that one. So, look, I'm, I'm glad he's back. It's going to be interesting now with W with, uh, AEW, the type of uh, performances, the type of programs that he can work with. He wants to start off with um, Darby Allen. All right, that should be interesting. That should be interesting. Phil Brooks is 42 years old. Also, for those who are losing their mind, they're like, oh my God, CM Punk is back. Whoa, man, let's kind of kind of pump the brakes. I mean, it's been seven years, number one. He's 42 years old, number two. Uh, before I start, you know, before I start doing high fives and, you know, doing the, doing the boogaloo in celebration and excitement, let me see what Mr. Brooks has. Let's see how well he works with some of the young talent. Now, AEW has done great. They've made Sting, Steve Borden, look like a superstar. The man is 61 years old, still doing great stuff. So I think he's in the right company to put him in the best possible position to shine. I have no doubt about that. But at 42 years old, I wonder if people are still going to be expecting the 33, 32, 34, 35-year-old CM Punk, a.k.a. Phil Brooks, a, uh, Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk. I wonder if we're going to be looking for that. You know, I, I think, you know, his first match going to be at the pay-per-view in um, September. He looks great. He looks slim. He looks trim. He looks rip-roaring, ready to go. I'm quite sure with him when he was training UFC-style, MMA-style, I'm quite sure that uh, 
helped him out a lot. The ability to heal both physically and mentally. I mean, he's still sharp as hell on the stick. I mean, he's still a great promo. I mean, he's still a natural uh, when it comes to that. So he'll have no problem cutting a promo. I know that for sure. He's still one of the best. So um, it'll be interesting moving forward because 42 years old, Phil, it's like when Eddie Murphy said, you know, it's like Eddie Murphy was like, you know, when he was asked if you're ever going to do stand-up again, he's like, well, you know, if I did, I would kind of have to start from the ground up and start going back to the comedy clubs four or five days a week and start, you know, getting my groove back and start getting the feeling back and everything because, you know, fundamentally, I know how to do stand-up, but when you haven't done it for a while, you know, you got to kind of start back again and build yourself back up because if you just go from not doing stand-up for a while and then, you know, start at... Uh, you know, Carnegie Hall or MSG or the convention center. And Eddie Murphy, this is your first time back in doing stand-up in 20 years. I mean, yet initially, you know, the crowd's going to be like, oh, yeah, Eddie's back, yeah, this, that, and the other. And then you go on stage, and after that, applauding and cheering, and oh, yeah, and I can't believe it, and this is unbelievable. I never thought I'd see it again. My kids get to witness what I fell in love with as far as Eddie Murphy being a great comedian and stand-up and greatest of all time, along with Richard Pryor and all this kind of stuff. Once all that is gone, it's like, okay, show us what you got. And if Eddie Murphy's still doing the same routine that he did 20 years ago, it's going to be, that's it. It's like, wow, what a letdown. So for me, yeah, oh my goodness gracious, CM Punk is back, this, that, and the other. Let's see how well he works. Let's see how well the man works before, again, before I start, uh, you know, before I start uh, doing the moonwalk and doing my Motown 25 impersonation of of Billy Jean, Michael Jackson type of deal. So glad to see CM Punk back. Thought Malachi Black was a... You know, as far as I think that was huge also. Now there's some talk that Bray Wyatt might be going to um, AEW. So we'll see. You don't, you don't want to become like, you know, the retreads for WWE. I mean, there was also some talk that Adam Cole, his contract is over. That, um, you know, if, if he's not offered uh, a contract by WWE, that he would go over to uh, AEW, join his girlfriend, Britt Baker, and uh, bring his talents over to um, AEW, which which is great. I think some talent from the, you don't want to get all of it. You don't want to get all of the uh, talent that's been released by WWE, but yes, some could work. And you think about some of the careers that have been resurrected by AEW, just by good storytelling and giving the folks what they want. I mean, you take a look at Rusev. I mean, Rusev, Rusev Day, the fans were begging, were begging, were begging at a time for the WWE to elevate Rusev, to give him more shine. And they never did. And here's a big, strong guy. I mean, this is Vince McMahon's, you know, greatest dream. Big, strong, beefy, you know, great worker. And it's like they never pushed this guy. He goes over to AEW, and now he's this unstoppable monster with a pretty good uh, character that he's doing. You know, so it's like, there's one. John Moxley, when he was Dean Ambrose, looked like things were going to be going great. They basically killed him. He went over to uh, AEW, and he's one of the biggest stars now in the business. Um, You know, throwaways like uh, Christian, even though he's about 47 years old, he's had a nice uh, comeback since going to uh, AEW. There's just others and others and others where it's just like they 
leave the WWE, go to AEW, and it's like, all right, I'm excited about what they're going to be doing with Malachi Black. I can't believe why in the world I don't understand. I mean, I'm not a booker. I'm not in the wrestling business. I just watch. I'm just a fan. Been a fan for, I don't know, going on, what am I, 52? So it's been going on, I don't know, over 40 years. So been a fan for that long, but I've never booked a match. And I don't know. I'm, you know I don't want to get Jim Cornette you know, on my ass about that shit. But look, I'm not a booker and I don't know anything about the insides of the uh, industry like that. But it's like, how in the world can you not find anything from Malachi Black? Uh, how, that, that that guy's tremendous. That that guy was that guy was awesome. And then you released a guy right when he was in the middle of the program, right when it looked like you were going to give him a little bit of a push. I mean, there was talk when Paul Heyman was going to take over Raw and start handling more of the creative that one of the people that he was going to push hard because he really liked was Aleister Black. How do you not, how did you not, why did you not? I don't know. I have no idea. But, you know, he's going to be a monster in AEW. And you think about some of the talent that he can be put up with. You can think about some of the programs that he can go, that he can uh, work with them. The people that he can work with is like, wow, man, you're trying to tell me that Vince couldn't work with that. Vince couldn't work with Rusev. Vince couldn't work now Miro, but it's just, just interesting, just interesting. So, um, I think AEW is on the rise. I mean, they're, they're, they're far, 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 far away from, you know, being true challengers of WWE. That's the monster that that's the, you know, that that's King Kong. Who's got, everything on everybody but uh you know it's a it's a great alternative and for a relatively new company at least it gives some of these guys some options bianca belair to where you know what if you're going to be disrespected like uh or not be used correctly or be clowned or have your career altered or slowed down or destroyed by bad booking and bad decisions bianca belair then you know there's another place where you can go where, uh, you know, they'll be able to use you correctly. So, congratulations to uh, Phil Brooks, CM Punk. Man, I sure hope H.A. Lee shows up with you. If you're going to be showing up doing some work with AEW there, Mr. Brooks, make sure your wife is on hand also. I remember that program she had where, I don't know, she was some crazy nut who was um, who was um, kissing all on Daniel Bryan and Kane and um, CM Punk. Ooh, man, I tell you, if I was in that program, I was Daniel Bryan or, or, or Kane. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, can we go ahead and try to uh, make the storyline stretch out for about, I don't know, three years? Yeah, I could I could have AJ Lee's going to be running up and giving me long, hard kisses uh, every Monday night. Yeah, I think that we can, uh, you know, kind of extend this angle another five years. So, yeah, that was uh, AJ Lee. How do you do? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the move by AEW, unbelievable, great, fantastic. Saturday, I watched a little SummerSlam on the Peacock. And by the way, congratulations, Peacock. I actually watched the entire four and a half hour event and there were no mishaps. There were no screw ups. Very, very nice. Thank you very much. I knew my $4.99 went towards something in terms of getting it straightened out getting some of them bugs straightened out. But um, the announced the announced crowd of 50,000 people over at the Legion Stadium in uh, Vegas, Vegas, pretty decent show, I guess. I guess, sort of, kind of. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it. Um, basically, the show was 
how would the WWE, I think, how would the WWE respond to the return of CM Punk to wrestling and to AEW? I'm, I'm wondering if this was a break glass moment, especially with um, Becky Lynch. I think the Brock Lesnar thing, I think that was planned. Lesnar's back. You're going to bring him back with his price tag. You're not going to bring him back to empty arenas. You're not going to bring him back to the Thunderdome. You're going to get your most out of Brock, both in terms of financially and also the impact that he can have. You, know, you bring him back in a situation like this. You bring him back when everybody is back, rip-roaring, ready to go as far as fans in the arena and in the stadium. So I think that move was planned. Um, I think when CM Punk showed up to AEW and then Sasha Banks, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she caught COVID. I don't know if she got injured. I have no idea what happened. But I think that's when when that happened, I think that uh, it was the decision, the horrible, disrespectful, inane, nonsensical decision was made for A, Becky Lynch to return and B, have her do what she did to uh, Bianca Belair, which, you know, basically ruined my mood until Edge and, until Edge and uh, Seth Rollins wrestled again. But uh, let's get back to, let's get started with the um, particular, shall we? The um, matches. Let me see. The main event matches. I'm not going to go over Big E and... Um, I'm not going to go over Big E and um, uh, Baron Corbin because A, I didn't watch it, and B, I think Big E, along with Kevin Owens and such, for SummerSlam, should have been on this... Should have been on this um, pay-per-view, but they weren't, so we're moving on. Um, the... Main event matches, Raw tag, tag Team titles between AJ Styles and Omos versus Randy Orton and R- Riddle, RK-Bro. Riddle, Orton wins the Tag Team Championships. Mm, all right, that's fine. Nothing special about this match. Pretty good match that if it was on Raw. Big question, of course, is, you know, who's Riddle and Orton going to feud with next? The Tag Team division, not only in SmackDown, but also in Raw, pretty pretty slim and pretty pathetic, both in the men and women's division. So you take a look, Orton, Riddle, new champions. So where do we go next? Are we going to run back the New Day again, old and stale? Mason T-Bar aren't ready. The Viking Raiders are nobody. Morrison and Miz are more of a comedy, are more of a comedy thing. Morrison, really, I think, I I, I would think that he would kind of benefit from a singles push more than keeping him with the uh, Miz. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't have anybody else. So what they're going to do, run Styles and Omos again? Back to that again? I would like to see Styles, another one, go on a, a singles push. I don't know what you do with Omos, though. Um, Omos is a man of very few moves. He's a giant, so we're not looking at him to bump and uh, jump around all over the place. But, uh, you know, for what he does, he's all right. He's a uh, work in progress. Don't know how much talent that he has for the wrestling business as being a performer, but some of the few things that he does, does uh, well enough. But Styles carries that uh, Styles carries that tag team. But, you know, moving forward again, what, what new fresh program is Orton and Riddle going to work with? So we'll find out Monday if I decide to watch. So that was the first match of the pay-per-view. Then we have... Then we have, then we have Alexa Bliss versus Eva Marie. For goodness fucking sake, 
how are they how are they doing my female Alexa Bliss like this? How are they doing Alexa Kaufman like this with this stupid, with this ridiculous, with this asinine program that she's doing? And the worst part about it is Eva Marie, who's a sexy thing, that woman can't wrestle. She can't wrestle. That match was terrible. Horrible. Worthless. Annoying. Waste of time. You couldn't find something for Kevin Owens to do instead of having Alexa Bliss and Eva Marie, those two together? You couldn't find anything for Finn Balor, anybody. You had to put this garbage on? You couldn't even make this a, a, a cinematic match? So you have Eva Marie, a grown woman, taking Lily, this doll, and slapping her around. I mean, this stuff is so fucking stupid. Who are who are we trying to... Uh, who are we trying to entertain with this bullshit? With this nonsense? It was, in my opinion, this whole bullshit was bad when Bray Wyatt was doing The Fiend. I thought it was stupid. And I thought it was ridiculous. Now you got Alexa Bliss. They're making her look white as a sheet. They're making her look like, uh, um, oh, making her look ridiculous. I mean, how in the world can you make someone as beautiful and gorgeous as Alexa Bliss? I mean, how can you take her, who's a good talker, good on the mic, Pretty talented. Yeah, she might be a little bit short, this, that, and the other when you compare her with the Bel Airs and these uh, Charlotte Flairs of the world. But, man, you couldn't put her in a program, just a regular program with with uh, with, with Nikki Ash. You couldn't put her in some other type of program where she's actually wrestling as a regular human being. Where are we going with this bullshit, Vince? Where are we fucking going with this nonsense? How many dolls are being sold to where you're like, this is a good idea and we got to keep going with this? And this whole deal with Eva Marie and Dewdrop doesn't make any sense at all. After the mic, Dewdrop takes the mic, calls Eva Marie a loser, and takes her robe and walks off alone. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. The writing, the ideas for this have been so lame and so ridiculous. No one cares about Alexa Bliss. No one cares about Eva, Eva Marie. And no one cares about Dewdrop. Nobody. Nobody. But then again, I guess tomorrow we'll find out. I mean, what are we going to do now? Have Dewdrop and Eva Marie? Are they going to be in the program? Or who else are they going to be in the program with? It's just it's just ridiculous. It's just... Damian Priest versus Sheamus for the United States Championship. Priest wins the uh, championship, becomes the new champion. It was a good, solid match. Sheamus, I think, has been uh, really good working as a heel in this character. His Celtic Warrior workouts... With the superstars on YouTube have been awesome. He's not doing them as much anymore. Maybe because what since he became a heel, I don't know. But uh, his work, I think, has been great, especially considering his age. I think again, I think the match was solid. I think it was a good match. I think it was an entertaining match. Um, Damian Priest got to get the most out of him. The man is thirty-eight years old, so I think this is something to where you know maybe this could be a step up for him. The um, WWE needs some some fresh talent, some new talent, so. You know, someone like a Damian Priest who came in with Bad Bunny for the WrestleMania program and really has been put on the back burner since. I mean, hopefully this will be something as far as the push is concerned to, you know, have one of the uh, baby faces that's lacking on Raw, maybe have a baby face do something. So I think it was a good start in the push, hopefully, for Damian Priest. Then we had the SmackDown Tag Team Championship between the Mysterios and the Usos. Usos retained the title. Again, nothing much here. 
Um, nothing that I haven't seen in singles with uh, one of the Usos going up against one of the Mysterios. Nothing really interesting. Maybe we can go ahead and further along the program of Dominic um, ultimately turning on his father. Don't know when that's going to be, but seems like there's dissen- dissension within the um, within the Uts, within the um, Mysterios. I- I'm just glad that we no longer have the program of Mysterios' daughter kissing on um, the, the one guy, Buddy. Oh, oh, gosh, golly, who's no longer with the uh, who's no longer with the program, and she and he was engaged to uh, Alexa Bliss. Oh, I forgot his name, Buddy. Buddy somebody, but the man was in the 30s and um, Mysterio's daughter was like 18 or 19 or some stuff like that. And they were trying to do this love angle and it was just uncomfortable and it was just icky and it was just disgusting and that type of thing. But I'm glad they moved away from that. But um, yeah, so the Usos retain, keep it in the bloodlines in terms of the dominance as far as uh, that is concerned. And, you know, Dominic, you know what? Dominic is 24 years old. I didn't know he was that old. I thought that he maybe might have been like 21 or 22 or 20 or something like that. Good point that was made by John Pollock, who does a, a wrestling podcast. He's really good with waiting. He was like, man, you know what? Dominic is the same age as MJF and a couple of other guys in um, AEW. And if you take a look at their ring work and if you take a look at their mic skills, uh, compared to uh, some of the guys, some of the younger talent in AEW, and uh, and such, Dominic is kind of underwhelming. And when you consider that he's Rey Mysterio's son, he grew up in the business, and I'm quite sure that he was groomed from a young age to be in the business and and that type of thing. It's 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 I don't know, kind of disappointing with him as far as the performer is concerned. But he's young, so we'll see what happens. Running down SmackDown here on Wendell's World in Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, running down um, SummerSlam here on my podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. So, I have to get myself mentally prepared for this. We had the SmackDown Women's Championship between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. All right. Let me start by saying Vince McMahon knows a lot more about this than I do. Let me go by, I've never booked a show. I've never written for a show. I've never worked for Vince McMahon. I've never worked for the WWE. I'm an armchair booker, (laughs) right? So take my thoughts and opinions about this with a grain of salt. But, you know, you you had some pretty bad moments over the past couple of years in WWE. You had Kofi Kingston losing his title reign to Brock Lesnar in about four seconds you had the no disqualification qualification match between The Fiend and Seth Rollins. You, you've had some pretty like head scratching. What the hell with that? This made no sense. That was bad. You had Karrion Cross in his introduction to Raw losing to Jeff Hardy, who had to cheat to win. So in his introduction to Raw, Karrion Cross, who was the champion of NXT, the guy who had NXT on his shoulders, he came into uh, Raw. And then in his first match, you lose to someone like Jeff Hardy, which should have been a squash match. So there's been there's been decisions made that I don't get. I don't understand. Maybe I'm not smart enough. I don't know. But this this has to be one of the worst. And it's not because I'm in love with Bianca Belair as a performer 
and as a professional wrestler. It's, it's just, it, it, it made no fucking sense. It made no fucking sense. So here we go. So for the last two weeks, you have Bianca Belair being attacked and beat down to end the show by Sasha, Sasha Banks. So of course, the thinking is once you get to SummerSlam, Sasha, Bianca, rematch from an epic historical performance on at the uh, on WrestleMania, the close the first day of WrestleMania. You do it again. You run it back for SummerSlam. Bianca Belair after getting beat down, tricked, sucker punched, stabbed in the back by returning Sasha Banks. She gets her revenge, right? Right? You would think that, right? Well, um, Belair was first introduced, and then after she comes in, and now she's getting ready, this, that, and the other, we're all getting ready to see Sasha Banks come out. All of a sudden, it was announced that Bank was unable to compete tonight and would be replaced by Carmella. Now, again, if you follow the sheets or if you keep your nose to the, or if you keep your ear to the wrestling ground, you heard that this match might have been, in je- this match was in jeopardy. Banks and Bel Air. They wouldn't tell us why, but they were like, rumors had it that, you know, this might be something where, uh, you know, they're going to have to cancel this match. So it wasn't a, 100% shock maybe a 95% 98% shock because if you knew from a couple of days out that there was a possibility that Banks wasn't going to be able to perform in the match why in the fuck would you run a promo why in the hell right before the match you would run a promo and you would go ahead and, and review the history of all this and then have Bel Air come into the ring and then go oops I'm sorry Banks really isn't going to show up why are you going to screw with the fans like that? Why are you going to fuck the fans like that and then leave in the morning without a goodbye kiss and note or at least fix them breakfast? Why the fuck are you going to fuck us like that? Why are you going to swerve us like that with that bullshit? It's nonsense, especially again when you had an inkling that a situation where Banks wasn't going to be able to perform was something that they had to deal with. What was going on with that? So, okay, so Carmella comes out. It's like, damn, so Carmella's going to be the one that's going to catch the ire. So it's like, damn, so instead of Sasha and Belair, we got Belair and Carmella. Fuck me. Oh, it's like, so, you know, she comes out and then the music hits, Becky Lynch music hits and oh my goodness, the place goes nuts. The place goes wild. Becky Lynch is back. 15 months away because of her pregnancy, she's back. Oh boy, and Alliance Allegiant Stadium just goes nuts for um for for Lynch. So she comes out, she gets in the ring, she throws Carmella out of the ring, and then the stare down reminiscent of the WrestleMania moment with The Rock and Hulk Hogan. Lynch stares at Bianca. Bianca stares at Becky. And, you know, they go through that, you know, hyping up the crowd and everything. So, without the mic, Lynch goes, you know, hey, me and you, let's go, let's do this. And Bel Air was like, you're on. So, Bel Air sticks her hand out to, uh, or excuse me, Lynch sticks her hand out for a shake and let's get this going. Bel Air is going to go ahead and shake her hand. And it was a double cross. Um, Lynch sucker punches her or, you know, uh, you know, does the old okie doke hits her with the finishing move the with the manhandle or some bullshit like that and one two three 26 fucking seconds 
Becky Lynch is the new champion. 26 fucking seconds. 26 seconds. Five months of building one of the most popular performers in wrestling. Not just in AEW, just not, not just on SmackDown, not just on WWE, wrestling, period. These motherfuckers destroy that in 26 fucking seconds to a female who hasn't performed in 15 fucking months and is coming off a pregnancy. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Where is the logic? Where is the reasoning? Why? It made no sense. It makes no sense. What are we doing with this? I, 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 there, <laughs> she got Belair, Belair, <laughs> Belair got Kofi Kingston. And it returned, it tainted the return of Becky Lynch. Again, the woman had not wrestled in 15 months. Belair is one of the most popular wrestlers in the country, in the county, in the city, in the state, and in the company. What are you doing? Well, you know, this is an opportunity for Belair to turn heel. and the, No, the damage is done. That's on her resume, man. Well, she was, uh, you know, naive or she was inexperienced. That's on her resume. That's it. That's done. That's caught on camera. That's on video. That's going to be on DVD, CDs, whatever you want to call it. YouTube, whatever. That's that's there. There is no um, running away from that. There is no, that's it. That's done. Chris Stratus barking like a dog around a ring during an angle with Vince McMahon. That's on that's on video. That's on Trish Stratus' resume. And now we've got this for Bianca Belair. Why in the fuck? In a company that is dying. In a company that should be begging. In a company that is just... I mean, our main event we had... We had Bill Goldberg, or the co-main event, we had Bill Goldberg, who's 54 years old, versus Bobby Lashley, who's 45 years old. The main event, we had Roman Reigns, who's 35 years old, against 40, uh, a guy in his mid-40s, and John Cena. The co-main event, we had 47-year-old Edge versus 35-year-old Seth Rollins. Where in this company is anybody under the age of 33? Where? Where are your new stars? Where are the guys that are going to be able... Are you, are you going to bring back Bill Goldberg when he's in his 60s? Are you going to bring back Brock Lesnar in his 60s? Are you going to bring back Edge when he breaks his neck again and he's in his 60s? Are you going to bring back John Cena when he's in his 60s? Everybody's clamoring. Everybody's talking about the main event for WrestleMania is going to be Roman Reigns versus the 50-something-year-old Rock? He's 50 years old. Where are your new stars? Where are the guys that are going to be there each and every single week? Where are those guys? Where are the young guys? Where are the 28, 29, 31, 32-year-olds who are going to be able to carry this company and be the face of this company and, 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 and headline SummerSlams and WrestleManias and be the face of the company and go on Good Morning America and do all this type of stuff? Where are those guys? Because right now you've got Roman Reigns who really can't do it right now because he's a heel. Where else? Where else are you going to turn to? Bobby Lashley is 45 years old. He's a heel. He can't do anything. Plus, he has no charisma. Beautiful body. Awesome body. Seems to be a great guy. But is he going to be the face of your company? In five years, who's going to be the face of your company? A 40-year-old Roman Reigns? A 40-year-old Seth Rollins? 
A 43-year-old Damian Priest? Who's going to be that guy? Who? They keep throwing out these same damn re uh, retreads. Who? You, you had somebody. You had somebody in Bianca Belair. Her smile is magnetic. She's beautiful. She's well-spoken. She's an inspiration. She's a great worker. I think that she could get a little bit better. But as of right now, she's a great worker. She's got everything you need. And you have her lose in 26 fucking seconds. It's not the fact that she lost. If you're going to lose. You're going to lose the title. No, who cares? Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. What is he, the 17-time world champion? John Cena was trying to be the 17-time world, 17 world champion, and he's one of the greatest who's ever done it. It's, it's not the fact that she, lose, she lost the title. Fine. But make it to where she doesn't lose all her fucking credibility. What Becky Lynch, those two should have gone in the ring. Okay, Carmella, expendable. Expendable. Gotcha. She gets thrown out of the ring. They both have their stare down. They both look at the crowd. They both look at each other. And Becky Lynch mouth something as like, I'm coming for that belt or that belt is mine or something in terms of, but you, you don't do it now and you don't do it in 26. You don't have Becky Lynch cheat to win if she's the face and do it in 26 fucking seconds to one of the biggest stars on your roster. You fucking morons. Doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. And if I'm a little bit emotional, if I'm a little bit angry, if I sound a little bit angry, you would have not have want to have been around me when that happened Saturday night. Because I was fucking not happy. Unfucking believable. Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal as I recap the uh, SummerSlam pay-per-view on Wendell's World of Sports. Um, Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal. Mahal loses. Who cares? <laughs> Just I, I was, I was so pissed off. And Jinder Mahal is such a waste of time. And another guy with a boatload of talent, who they should be able to do something with. Drew McIntyre is now starting to make his descent to being a uh, mid card guy. So, all right, Raw Women's Championship match between Charlotte Flair, Nikki Ash, and Rhea Ripley. Flair wins for the 12th time. Look, Flair is one of the best workers in the business, regardless of gender, regardless of wrestling company. But, I mean, again, this is a problem. People are going to sit there and be like, Charlotte Flair, ho-hum, but who else do you got? Who else you, who else you, what do you go, what else are you going to do? With the writing team and the person making the main decisions, uh, who else do you got? Nikki Cross as an almost superhero? Not over in any way, shape, or form. And she's already lost to Flair and Rhea Ripley multiple times. So she was never a credible champion. Ripley has lost to Flair multiple times for the championship on pay-per-views. In her uh, introduction in her introduction and work with Flair and the programs have been underwhelming and puzzling. And it's like a, a character that the, the, the writers had made her into a character that no one cares about. So who do you got? Who do you who do you have now for Charlotte Flair? Even if she didn't become the world champion, who, what other what other people on the main roster, what other women on the Raw roster are you going to elevate and have a program with with a champion? Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Lacey Evans when she comes back from her pregnancy, Naomi, whatever happened to Sheena Sheena Baszler? 
They, they, they destroyed her pretty quick. Nia Jack. There's nobody out there. So, I don't know. what Are we, are we going to run back? Are we going to run back um, D3 again? Are we going to still continue with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair again? Are, are we just going to be passed around the pass around the strap? So Ripley's going to win it. Then Ash is going to win it. Then Charlotte's going to win it. Rinse and repeat. I don't know. I don't know. Will they bring over Bianca Belair to Raw, the Faith Flair, once the uh, draft happens? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Best match of the night was Edge versus Seth Rollins. That was that was great. Edge needed the win after losing a couple of times to uh, Roman Reigns. Edge is too good of a worker. He's too talented of a guy to uh, have this be a defining. Plus, it was a great match. It was a, it was an awesome match. So, no harm done to uh, Seth Rollins. So, I don't know what's going to be happening with him next. I don't know if they put him in a program with Roman Reigns, even though with Brock Lesnar back, how can you really put Roman Reigns in a program with Brock Lesnar when Brock Lesnar at the very best is going to be a part-time wrestler who's not going to, who's hardly ever going to show up on SmackDown is going to probably do a couple of um, pay-per-views and that's about it. Get to that in just a second, but um, it was a good match. It was a really good match. Edge at 47, the stuff that he's doing awesome, man. That guy is, that guy, Adam is, that, that, that guy is something else, really something else. Um, Miz and John Morrison, Xavier Woods, dripstick nonsense, bullshit, really don't care, moving on. Raw championship match between Bill Goldberg and Bobby Lashley. Why, why, why are we, why are we still doing Bill Goldberg? Why are we still doing Goldberg? Why? Lashley wins a weird, I don't even know what to say, man. It was a weird, uninteresting, below average match. Didn't move the needle. The match was called after MVP hits Goldberg in the knee with his cane. And, you know, Goldberg is limping around. And finally, he couldn't do it. And it was like, is that it? That, that, that's all? So you save Goldberg from being pinned. So, I mean, are we trying to build Bobby Lashley? I don't, what? Why what, Why can't we? I mean, why? I don't know. I, I don't know. Lashley continues to hit Goldberg on his injured knee after the match is over with chair shots which looked pretty tame. Then puts the hurt lock on his son Gage when he comes in to save his dad. So we have a 45-year-old man putting a hurt lock on a 14, 15-year-old kid. Um, All of this to get heat for Lashley, which it didn't. The people were cheering, not only when, after the match, when um, Lashley was giving chair shots to the leg of Bill Goldberg, they were even cheering when he was giving the hurt lock to his son. So all of the heat... That these guys try to put on Bobby Lashley instead of Heat, he got cheered for it. Maybe, I don't know how much it was because they like Bobby Lashley or they just are sick and tired of Bill Goldberg and want him to go the way. I'm thinking the latter more than the later, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just, another, another match that was blah, boring, nonsensical had nothing to do with Lashley so much it's like you Bill Goldberg is extraordinary for being a 54 year old man to be able to even attempt to do something like that but he's 54 fucking years old and he's co he's he's co-headlining the um a, a SummerSlam pay-per-view I don't know then we have the SmackDown championship match between John Cena Roman Reigns Reigns dominating the match with the exception of a few moments from Cena. A lot of trash talking from Reigns. I thought it was a pretty decent match. I wish Reigns would work 
a little bit faster like he did when he was trying to get over. I love the trash talking. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining. But it was like, man, after every single move, after he would knock Cena down, he would just kind of prance around, talk a bunch of shit and this, that, and the other. And then Cena would try to uh, crawl back up and Reigns would hit him again once and he would walk around and still talk some shit and talk shit to the fans. I mean, if you're on the front row, I guess it's entertaining as such. But when you're watching it from home, it's like, yeah. I remember the Roman Reigns who used to put on five-star matches and was just awesome. Maybe not five-star, but he used to put on some holy shit, this is awesome type of matches. And uh, I guess with this character, for the time being, it is now gone. So give it up to Cena. I think he did a great job. I think ever since he's come back, he's done a great job, put over Roman Reigns well. And uh, now he's off to Hollywood to do his thing. So, you know, Cena did his job. And uh, Reigns continues to be the undisputed tribal chief the champion until until who was there to face Roman Reigns ah after the match the music for Brock Lesnar hits he appears comes into the ring the place goes absolutely fucking nuts and just like they should have done with Bel Air in Lynch they speaking of Reigns and Lesnar they just stare down at each other and then they go ahead and fight for another time so there you go. That was the and after. Oh yeah, and after the program went off, the air Lesnar suplex, suplexed Cena about five times and then gave him an F five. So again, Cena doing the job, uh, big time for the company. So that was about it, man. And so that was SummerSlam right there, and uh, that's my st- stuff on wrestling. Pay per view was somewhere around a CC minus. I thought the Edge Rollins match was great. Sheamus Priest was a good match. Flair, Ripley, and Ash, that was a good match. The storyline makes no sense, and the characters aren't really cheerable, but the work itself that those ladies did was uh, very good. The Mysterios and Uso was fine. Mahal and McIntyre was nothing. Lashley and Goldberg was bad. Eva Marie, Alexa Bliss was beyond bad. And then the Bel Air Lynch quote-unquote match was horrific and devastating. And, and and again, you know, you could say, well, this sets up a, a heel turn for Bel Air and this is the reason why she goes after her and all this kind of stuff. You, you could have done that. You could have done the heel turn without destroying her, her credibility. You know, hey, I feel threatened that Lynch is coming back to take my title. I've been on the top. I'm the new person up top. I'm the new flavor of the month and the year and all this kind of stuff. You need to go back home and tend with your kid. This is my turf. This is my belt. No one's going to get it from me. And I feel threatened now that you're coming back. So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to be the heel. It doesn't take much to be a heel when you're fighting Becky Lynch. Everybody wants to cheer for Becky Lynch. So even someone as popular as Bel Air is not going to take a whole lot, a whole lot for her to be turning heel. So you didn't need to, you didn't need to embarrass her like this for her to give a reason to turn heel. And for Becky, you come back and say, hey, I never lost the belt. I'm the real champion. You're just a paper champion. You haven't, you, you know, you're not a real champion until you beat me, this, that, and the other. And that's the reason why I'm coming for this belt. How fucking simple is that? And I'm not even a booker in the, in the wrestling industry. And I can put together something that's believable and understandable as that. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. So, the bottom line is, did the return of Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar and the title change take away from the momentum AEW created with the CM Punk uh, appearance? No. You know why? Because I have more faith in AEW 
to do something spectacular and do something great with the acquisition of CM Punk, just like they're doing with Aleister Black, just like they're probably going to be doing something soon with Bray, Bray Wyatt. I have infinitely more confidence in the team of AEW getting the most out of something like this than I do with the WWE and Becky Lynch and the return of Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar. Especially when you're speaking about Brock Lesnar, who the the guy is now full-time. So what are you going to do? You're going to have him beat Roman Reigns and then he's going to hold the belt hostage for another year and a half? So, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I think it's great for the wrestling industry. CM Punk's return. Maybe a lot of fire under Vince. I thought the uh, SummerSlam pay-per-view was, it was what it was. Has Didn't have any memorable moments for me. I was, I was never really a uh, Becky Lynch fan to begin with. So for her to return is nice, But and I understand people losing their mind, but for me it was like, oh, okay. And now uh, Lesnar coming back again is like, eh, all right. A man never works a full schedule anyway, so why am I losing my mind over this, so. The possibility of Lesnar versus Reigns. I saw that six years ago at WrestleMania. I mean, what, what's the uh, what's the uh, big deal about that? One now is going to be a face and the other one is going to be a heel. How in the hell are you going to make Brock Lesnar a face? Are you going to be like a, like, like a super indestructible face? Again, if he was on AEW, I would have confidence that they could pull it off. With this wrestling team, with this writing team for WWE, I have my doubts. I have my doubts. So, a uh, interesting 48 hours of wrestling. Thank you very much for your indulgence. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. I want to give a shout out. I want to give a special dedication to Bill Curtis and the A&E channel for going back to his roots. You know, some folks want to be a shortstop for the New York Yankees. Some folks want to be a point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. Some folks want to be a movie star. Some folks want to be rappers. Some folks want to be rock stars. You know, that the stuff where it's kind of like the, the untainable dream. You just weren't born with it. You weren't born to be LeBron James. You weren't born to be Wayne Gretzky. You weren't born to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady. You weren't born to be Lionel Messi. You weren't born to be Floyd Mayweather Jr., thank goodness. You weren't born to uh, to be one of those guys. You weren't born to be a notice Redding. You weren't born to uh, be a Levi Stubbs. You weren't born of that type of unbelievable talent and gifts to do something in terms of being a singer, being an entertainer, being an athlete, being an actor. You weren't born to be a Tom Hanks. You weren't born to be a Morgan Freeman. You weren't born 
to be a Michael Douglas? Well, for me, at least over the last 20, 25 years, my unattainable goal and my unattainable dream, the thing that I would just love to do, but unfortunately I'm not talented or smart enough, don't have the patience for it, I would love to be a criminal profiler. I would love to be a John Douglas. I would love to be a Roy Hazelwood. I would love to be one of those guys who have the ability to go in and talk to a serial killer, talk to one of those type of people and try to get an idea of exactly what makes you tick and then take that knowledge and then take that information and go out and and capture these bastards, arrest these bastards who are doing these atrocities, who are doing these type of things. That's that's my deal. That's my unattainable goal. For me, the reason why I'm saying special dedication to Bill Curtis and A&E, those are the, that's the channel and that's the man who made me fall in love with wanting to do this stuff. I mean, when I was watching back in the day and they had American Justice and they had cold case files and they had investigative reports and they had stuff like that and they were talking about you know, cases, and they were talking about, uh, you know, the crime and justice in terms of catching rapists and serial killers and stuff and finding out what makes it tick and then applying that knowledge to go ahead and to uh, capture the serial killers of today and a couple of years ago and such. I mean, it just mesmerized me. And I'm a documentary type of guy. You know, I'm not a reality show type of guy. I'm not a movie going type of guy. I hate bios in terms of Hollywood putting out some bios. I I, I hate that stuff. Didn't have any interest in that stuff. The only bio that I watch in terms of Hollywood making a movie with Malcolm X with Denzel. Other than that, absolutely no interest. I didn't watch Will Smith and Ali. I didn't watch, uh, didn't watch any of that stuff. No interest, no, no interest at all. So for me, you know, those shows were just like for me the bedrock of just every time I wasn't going to miss them just like Frontline with PBS Tuesday nights 10 o'clock I'm not going to miss it because those documentary those, those documentaries are flipping outrageously fantastic so one of the reasons why I took a little break or one of the reasons why I took a break in the first place from my podcast that I did on July 27th and then I didn't come back to almost two or three weeks later was because, you know, as I mentioned before, starting a new routine and everything, but they had a show on A&E. It was Crime Week, and um, I wasn't going to miss that. They had the three-part documentary on serial killers, the invisible monsters, and they were talking about Dennis Rader, BTK. They were talking about Gary Ridgway. They were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. They were talking about John Wayne Gacy, and they were talking about Ted Bundy. Five people whose story I know something about. Everything that um, I've come in contact with, any, anything I can get my hands on concerning John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy in particular, I, I, uh, I scoop up and uh, learn, read, and all that type of stuff. Not really interested in them as far as like, ooh, aren't they this, that, and the other. No, I do that for, you know, just how they were caught, their MO, and all those type of things. So this week with the serial killers, that's what I was, or this past week with the serial killers, that's what I was, uh, that's what I was digging on. And that's what I was, uh, really, uh, latching on to and, uh, and, and thinking about and talking about. So yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, gotta give a shout out. And I'm glad that, you know what? American justice is coming back on A&E Friday nights, cold case files. It's coming back on Friday nights. Watch the, uh, first 
episode back of Cold Case Files and American Justice. Got my man Bill Curtis doing it. Sure, he lost a little bit on his fastball in terms of explaining and everything, but he's still better than everybody, anybody else they got doing it. Better by far. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just excited because now it gives me something to do Friday nights instead of uh, going ahead. I, I'll go ahead on Pluto TV because they got Cold Case cold case files on Pluto TV and I'll spend some time watching that and it's like within five minutes of the program or five minutes of the episode it's like oh yeah I remember that one because for the most part American Justice cold case files I probably watch those episodes two or three times and when you're speaking about something like Wayne Williams the Atlanta child murderer when you're speaking about John Wayne Gacy the the biography they did with him the catching of the Green River Killer, the special they had on investigative reports with that. I've watched those programs at least 10 times. I'm telling you, and I'm sorry. And look, I have no interest in doing what they do or anything like that. It's again, going back to my heroes, um, Roy Hazelwood, John Douglas, and, you know, basically how they, you know, size these guys up and, um, and uh, how they catch them and how they learn from them. So, yeah, special dedication, special shout out for those guys. So I just wanted to uh, do that before I got on out of here. So I'm done. I'm finished. I want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Going to end it today. As I mentioned before, all my musical breaks have been about I Hear a Symphony, the song that was made by Holland Dozier Holland, one of the greatest uh, producing teams, writing teams all in all of uh, musical history pop musical history and uh, the first one was Stevie Wonder I Hear a Symphony the second one was uh, what was the second one the second one was The Supremes third one was um, The Isley Brothers and as I mentioned before kind of brings back good memories for me in terms of uh, I Hear a Symphony singing the song feeling good and uh, special dedication goes out to uh, the female the love of my life one who I uh, should have uh, been a little bit more mature with, should have been a little bit more, uh, I guess it goes back to the mature situation. Felisa Ham, still P-H-A-M, Felisa, P-H-E-L-I-S-A-P-H-A-M. The love of my life. But, you know, that's uh, that's another story for another time. So special dedications always out to her. For those who are in strong relationships, for those who are in good relationships, man, remember, take it from me, be thankful for what you have in terms of your soulmate, in terms of uh, having that someone who can let you be you all the time. Doesn't matter. We'll accept you. We'll love you for being you. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything else, man. It must be glorious to have someone like that. I had someone like that and, uh, had a relationship like that in terms of having, letting me be me 100% of the time. And I was young and I was stupid and I blew it. So there you go, man. You live, you learn, you keep living. And uh, there you go. So this one is Leslie Uggams. I hear a symphony, beautiful, beautiful rendition. Special dedication to Shawnee Buchanan who could knock this out the park. Special dedication to my lost love, Felicia Hamm. Whenever you're near, I hear a symphony. Each time you speak to me, I hear a tenderness so deep with love. Leslie, if you would, take me home with some sweetness. 